way you're ready for the word? Let me tell you what I can do. I'm used to preaching all kinds of places through all kinds of interpreters and numerous services. And I can do this in 30 minutes or less if you'll really give me a witness. Now, the other side of that coin is if you make me labor, and I mean really pull and prime, can't seem to get any help, it'll take four hours and 16 minutes. You determine your Father's Day afternoon in the next few moments. Let's go in our Bibles together to the book of Luke, if you would please. Luke chapter 4. I want to speak to you, and I was asking the Lord, I've, I've preached several, Brother Brooks has um, allowed me the privilege of being here several times for Father's Day. Uh, it's so special to me because I love speaking to men. I was raised by a champion that I had as a father and a grandfather, and so I love speaking to men. I, I know uh, of your value in the eyes of the Lord how important you are in this present day and culture, in your families, in the lives of your children. I understand that very well. So I want to speak to the men today, even though I believe the message will, will minister to everybody. I'm specifically going to speak to every father on this subject, being creatures of habit. And in Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse number 16, it says, So he, speaking of Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, stood up to read, and then he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Father, thank you for your word. Speak to us, I pray, on this special, special day where we are honoring every father, as pastor said, for their commitment, their sacrifice to you and to their families. And Lord, I pray you'll speak to us in the next few moments in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. You know, um, being raised in church, you heard a little snippet of Susie's testimony. It is so dramatic. It is so powerful. I happened to answer the phone the night that her father called from that church where he had just been born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. I answered that phone very late on that Sunday night, and he was speaking in a language that I did not recognize, thinking that it was like the calls previous that had happened all through the years. I thought, well, he's drunk. I can hear the music in the background. He's in some bar, some tavern somewhere, which is usual for him. And I just said, it's your dad. And Susie said, let me handle him. I mean with a resolve. Because she knew what voices were normally speaking out of him. And it was normally not his voice. It was the demonic influence that that was ruling his life. That was the night that she answered the phone and said, Daddy. And when he started talking, she knew immediately that he was speaking in tongues, trying to speak in English to talk to his daughter. And from there, 
the family had a dramatic change. I was going back in my mind to the two songs I learned first because our backgrounds are really as opposite as they can be. I was raised on the pew. And until I was old enough to get on the pew, I was raised under the pew. Anybody remember those days? Because my mom and dad led the worship in the church every service. And so when my mom would go up to um, play the piano before, during, and after, um, she'd put me underneath, slip me animal crackers and some water, and I had to just kind of hold out until she got finished. There were times when I got a little older, I said, can't you get the sugar-coated animal crackers? But if you knew me, that wouldn't surprise you. I was ready to upgrade to a little better cracker. But my first two songs I learned were this, was this one, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand up on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, and then the boys would always try to out-shout the girls, Bible. It was just, and the second song I learned, I might have been about this tall, was Jesus Loves Me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And then we keep on singing, yes, Jesus loves me. And the word of God was what was overemphasized from the very beginning of my walk with the Lord. The importance of the Bible, what the Bible said. My father was a student of the word of God, even though he only obtained a high school education. He was always reading the Bible. Every time I would come in and he was having his private time, I remember his reading glasses kind of slid down on the end of his nose. He would have his Bible open and he would be reading. And when I would come in, he would close the Bible and he would begin to engage with me. It was so important to him that he would call his two sons and he ended up raising two preachers, even though he was not a preacher himself. He would call us into the living room every morning before school. And he would read a few verses to us from the Word of God. Then he'd put down his Bible and then he'd come over with his eyes moist and he'd put his hands on the face of his boys and he would validate us once again as his sons. And then he would validate us, even more importantly, as children of the Most High God. He would pray over his boys and that's how we went to school every day of our life with the validation of a father, with the Word of God being spoken over us, And someone praying over us and sending us into battle, knowing in whom we have believed. We're all creatures of habit, and that was my dad's habit. I've I've kept that habit in my own life, rising early to study God's Word and have that personal time with the Lord. And uh, we're all creatures of habit. Habit is defined as a settled or regular tendency or practice, especially one that is very difficult to give up. Some other words that describe habit are custom, pattern, routine, style, way, manner, mode, norm, tradition. We are who we are today, dads. Uh, We are the sum total of the habits or the routines that we have formed in our life. If we're not pleased where we are in life, in any aspect of our life, we really have to go back and just look at what we do every day as a habit. And if we're not pleased where we are, I would say those habits would need to be adjusted and those habits would need to be changed. And so we're, we're talking about habits and we're going to overemphasize in the next few moments the, the importance of being men and fathers of the Word of God. Jesus had many habits. In Luke five sixteen, He would often slip away into the wilderness and pray. 
This wasn't something he just did when the pressure was applied. No, this was his custom. This was his habit. Luke 4, 16, we read where every Sabbath he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he would read the Word of God. Jesus knew the importance of Scripture. He knew that the Scripture would be his compass. And every father, every man, yes, we do not like asking for directions. We are known for that uh, as men. But when it comes to the Word of God, we've got to get over that and we've got to ask for instructions. And we must ask for directions. And the instruction manual given to us to succeed in every facet of our existence is the Word of God. It will give you direction. Have you ever needed direction? Have you ever needed guidance? Have you ever needed the Lord just to kind of show you what decision to make? Should I take that job or should I stay where I am? Should I go ahead and buy that house or should we stay right here and pay this note down more or maybe even pay it off before? There's decisions that constantly bombard every husband and every father. And the Word of God, according to Psalm 119.105, the Word is a lamp unto your feet. It's a light unto your path. You can hide God's word in in your heart and not sin against him. So the scriptures are the navigation for your life. There's times when in my travels I just don't know how to get where I'm going. And so I've got this app that uh, most of us have. It's so simple. I pop something in. I can even speak to it where I want it to go. It will guide me right to the door. Well, the Bible has the same power to guide and direct us right to where we need to be through the instructions given to us. The scriptures are the navigation for your family, your finances, your emotions, your character. And it will provide that for your life. Jesus is the living word of God. Aren't you thankful that you have the living word who is Jesus and he has then given us his his written word, his love letter to us, his instruction manual, the compass The the soldier's sword, the Christian's character, the pilot's compass, everything we need is here in his word. And he comes and tells us in John 14, 6 that he is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. No man comes to the Father except through, through him. John 17, 7 says, thy word is truth. Aren't you thankful that every word in this book is truth? And John 17, 7 says that His Word is truth. And I'm, I'm sick and tired of secular humanist and existentialist philosophers babbling about what is truth. Everybody on television every night's got their spin on trying to decide on what real truth is. Well, here it is. Thy Word is truth. If you want to find truth, sir, you'll find it in the Word of God. Amen. This is the living truth. This is the bread of life. This is the sword of the Lord that divides marrow from bone and and truth from deception. This is the light of the world that brings people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is the book that radiates hope to the hopeless and peace to the tormented. It brings freedom to the captive. And I still watch it every single week bring uh, 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 deliverance and break the shackles of misery over people's life. This sacred book. Dads, that I'm holding in my hand should be the most important book in your, in your library. You should know it better than anything else. You should study it more than you study anything else. This sacred book I'm holding in my hand this morning is authored by God, the Holy Spirit. It, I hold in my hand an absolute printed miracle. It's been burned by the Hitlers of the world only to rise up out of the ashes and be the sword of the living God. 
the atheistic communist, he still rolls his fist in the face of God and says God is not. But coming back and thundering back from the deep resources of heaven comes the powerful word of God. Thy word is truth. Communism has collapsed, but the Bible's still standing. The Bible doesn't have to even really be defended. It defends itself. It's still the number one bestseller of all time in the history of mankind. This is the only book in print that can change your sin-stained life and make you whiter than snow. You can read Shakespeare, Shelley, Keats, and Byron, and they will not change your life. But the moment you choose to open this book and pour over the pages, you will be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a healing power in God's Word. I'll never forget when I was growing up in church, these were the days before Really, any church had full-time staff other than the pastor. Everything was a volunteer position like children's pastors and youth leaders. It usually, some of you will identify, it usually was just a sweet couple in the church that loved young people. And they would kind of hang out with us, maybe be our Sunday school teachers. How I would have given anything to have what our youth have today with their own facilities, their own youth pastors pouring into them. I don't even, wouldn't even know how to identify with that. But we had a couple in our church growing up in Oklahoma here that the husband had an inoperable brain tumor that was taking his life. He was dying a slow, agonizing death. His head had swollen twice its normal size. He spent most days and nights in the bed trying to just manage this excruciating pain and discomfort. My mamaw heard about it. And uh, I preached my mamaw's funeral 14 years ago at the age of 100. And my mamaw was the intercessory prayer leader. Any given day of the week, you could show up at the church, go down an old hallway of the Sunday school rooms, and you'd usually hear them. There'd be a bunch of white-haired women down there. They'd shut the door, and they'd lock themselves in, and they wouldn't come out until they'd heard from God. We need that restored back to the modern-day church because what we're depending on now is all of our media and all of our presentation, and we're we're depending on so many other things. And I, I want everything we have at our disposal. I want it all. We need it all to minister in this culture. But what you cannot duplicate is the glory of God that will fill a house and the anointing of the Holy Ghost that will come down on a people except you get that in a prayer room. And my grandma was in that prayer room and heard about this man. She told the ladies, meet me at 9 o'clock at the church. We're going to battle. And the the movie not long ago, War Room, uh, I'm I'm thinking I knew of a woman in a war room a long time ago, decades ago before that movie ever gave us that great idea. My mamaw got the ladies together. She said, here's the situation. He's at home. He's now lost his job. It's critical now. They have two young boys. They're our youth leaders, even though they were a lay couple in the church. And my mamaw said, here's what we're going to do. God's given me a strategy. God's given me a plan. I have written down all of the healing scriptures found throughout the Word of God in all of the different translations. And it takes one hour to read every healing scripture with all the different translations. And she said, so there's more than enough of us in this room. She said, so Betty, you're going to take hour number one. And then Mabel, you've got number two. I'm going to do number three. And she started going through and giving everybody their hour assignments for 24. Are you with me? 
If this won't make you shout, then you're... Well, anyway. They prayed. They went to the man's house. They said, we're not here to eat. We're not here to drink coffee. We're not here to visit. We're going to sit somewhere in your house away from what you may need to be doing, and we're just going to read the Scriptures for an hour. And they did it. First day. Second day, 24 hours a day. On the third day, something about the third day that's significant, isn't it? On the third day, the man comes out of the bedroom, which was rare, and the swelling in his head had reduced it to its normal size. And he comes out, and my grandma happened to be on her one-hour shift. And he looked at her, and he said, Sister Perky, I, I don't understand what's going on, but you, you can see things have changed. And she just... Knowing her, she started speaking in tongues, knowing her. And, um, and he said, uh, I, uh, I haven't had this kind of, I haven't felt like this in months. I, I, to be honest with you, I'm a little hungry. Now, if you've got a perky in the house and you're hungry, you have just struck gold. My mamma went in there and threw down like Bobby Flay. And we didn't even know who Bobby Flay was, but she threw down like a Bobby Flay. And she made that man a meal, and he ate. And then he said, you know, I, I feel so strong. My wife's been trying to do everything, my yard. He said, if you'll, for, if you'll excuse me, Sister Perky, I'm, I'm going to go out and mow the yard. He went out and mowed the grass. Went back and had the MRI. Went back and had all the tests run again. They couldn't find the tumor. The tumor was gone. It had disappeared. He got a job, not only his old job back, but with a raise and with a great upgrade to where he was. And God sustained that family and blessed that family for the years to come. I'm telling you, there's power in God's Word. There's healing power. There's an anointing power. There's a redemptive power that makes a sinner forsake his way. This book breaks the fetters of sin. This book uh, is more powerful than cocaine, more powerful than pornography, more powerful than the occult. If you read this book, Dad, it will change your life, it will affect your family, and it will give your children something to build their life on. Hallelujah. My dad taught us, you build your life not on what's said on the news, not on what you can amass in your own life through your job or through your investments, but you build your life on the principles of this book. It tells you how to do everything. If you want to succeed in your finances, follow this and you'll be a very blessed man. If you want to raise champions for God called children, don't do it on just what book is out there on the shelf that the New York Times number one bestseller. I appreciate good books, but this is the greatest manual in raising children and being a champion of a husband and serving and loving your wife as Jesus loved the church. If you want to learn how to do that, you learn it here through the principles of God's Word. See, when you read the Bible, it, it will keep you from sin. Psalm 119.11, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You don't have to be on that treadmill all the time, just always struggling. Can't ever seem to overcome. Just You, 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 you make, you make a, a step and then you go three steps backward. I'm not going to live that way. God didn't design us to live that way. We can have victory over sin. And if we or when we do sin, He is faithful and just. To forgive us our sin if we'll just confess it to Him. The Bible shows us how to defeat temptation. I don't know a man alive that has not had to deal with or deals with temptation. Jesus gave us the prime example. How do I deal with temptation? How do I overcome it? How do I rise above it? 
In Matthew 4, verses 4, 7, and 10, Jesus gave us the example, and you know what it is, when the enemy would, would sow a lie to him, would tempt him to do something that he was not to do, he would just say, wait a minute, it is written, and he would come back with the power of the Word of God that would offset whatever the, the enemy had said. So when we are tempted and tried, if we know the Scriptures, it will allow us to be certain of what God said. Because the Bible is and should be our final authority on every matter. On every matter. Reading the scriptures also gives you courage and success. Joshua 1, 8 and 9 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that it is written that is written in it. So then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. I've never met a man that does not want to have success. He wants to be successful. He wants his family to be proud of him. He wants his father. I always wanted to make my father proud. Man, when I'd grab the baseball bat, I was in the fourth slot. When I'd grab that baseball bat and I'd come up to that plate, I mean, you've got all your players there. You've got this guy who's going to be pitching, trying to throw some heat there to you and set you down. But I always would turn real quick and look into the stands. And I'd always lock eyes with my dad. He'd just say something like, you got it, son. You got this. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your chin down. Don't, don't lift your head up. And he'd start giving me the instructions. What's funny is now when I, I did this with my son, and now my grandson plays two nights a week, And I I said to myself the other day, to myself, I said, good grief, you sound like your dad. You're saying the same things your dad said to you. And he went four for four the other night. He's looking around and he's wanting to make Papa proud. He's wanting to make his daddy proud. Isn't that the the, the nature of, of who we are as men? We want people to validate us, especially those closest to us. And and, and to do that, we must follow the Word of God that will give us the courage and success. And the Bible says about uh, reading it and studying it, keep it ever before your eyes. Don't just treat this book in, in, in light of an emergency. Don't just run to it when the pressure is applied to your life. But stay in it day and night. And then what will happen is you'll find that when the enemy comes with an attack against your life, the first thing that will come to your mind is what you have been reading all the time. And you'll, you won't be looking for somebody's spin on Facebook to give you an out. You'll be worried about what news channel you can uh, uh, log into on, on the evening and figure out what, what am I going to do about this. The economic indicators are saying this and, and the economy is, is doing this or that. I've, I've launched out and done some of the craziest things when the economy was the worst. Just to show the devil God's not messed up by what they say on TV. Thank you for those shouts and amens. Hallelujah. You want to be successful. You want to be prosperous. You want to have courage. The Word of God will give you the foundation to experience it all. The Scriptures also will enable you, and this is very important, to renew your minds. I love this. I've always referred to the Scripture as the spiritual detergent for the mind. Because my mind and your mind, dads, needs to be washed and cleaned constantly. Because of everybody and everything that is telling us something that may be, di- it may be opposed to the Word of God. 
And if you're not in the Word, you won't know if it was something that's good for you to entertain or something that's bad for you to entertain. But if you know the Scripture, you'll be able to discern. You'll say, wait a minute, that's not true. What, what they just said is, because here's a statement, for example, that, that, that bothers me. People today, even Christians, love to use this little new phrase in our culture. It is what it is. Well, wait a minute. Is he God or not? Is he able to, to do the impossible? What, what's, what's, it, what's impossible with man becomes possible with God. So I catch myself, and I'm not going to say it is what it is, because if you say it is what it is, dads, then your children can't be changed, your marriage can't be rescued, your body can't be healed, God can't prosper you in the middle of this situation, and that's what you're saying when you say it is what it is. So you've got to understand that a lot of stuff that's being spun and sewn into our mind is, is, is absolutely opposed to the truth of God's Word. Let every man be a liar, but let the word of God be true. Hallelujah. I'm trying not to get worked up. How do you renew your minds? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are constantly bombarded to accept a humanistic worldview. A worldview. It's what Satan wants everybody to develop. A common Worldview, But I can tell you that the worldview is opposed to biblical view. And so I'm constantly renewing my mind, washing it, cleaning out the junk and the garbage that's being sewn into it every day, just living in the culture that I live in. God's Word will be able to do that for you. You'll wash it, you'll renew it, and you'll be empowered by it. You know, I love the power of the Word of God as I watch it change lives. Uh, two crusades ago, we were in Madrid and we were preaching at our international church. This church has experienced um, unprecedented growth and have numerous services. And in one of the services uh, that we were doing, the missionary leaned over to me and he said, This is probably our most well-attended service. He said, there won't be an empty seat in this one. And sure enough, 10, 15 minutes before starting time, there were no seats. And so we're doing a little song there. We're kicking off some praise and worship. And all these nationalities represented from all over the world attend there. It's just really an exciting thing. We do a lot of ministry in the international set like this. And so I'm looking around and just taking it all in. And we're singing and clapping and and then those that didn't get there early enough had to line up along the back wall. And a couple of rows of people were standing along the wall because they didn't get a seat. And so there was a young student uh, standing against the back wall with a backpack on his back. And um, I'm quite a ways from him. Susie and I are sitting with the missionary and his wife over here at the front on this side of the building. And uh, we're, we're encouraged to greet someone, shake someone's hand, welcome someone like we did a moment ago. And uh, even though I could have stayed right there and greeted 50 people right there near me, I felt like I was supposed to go back and greet this student that I saw from a distance. And I even told Susie she'd be wondering where I disappeared to. I said, I'll be right back. I'm going to go greet someone. And so I made my way around and to the back, and I, and I went up to this student 
and I shook his hand. I introduced myself. I didn't know what country he was from, what language he spoke. I didn't know immediately if we would have a language barrier that would not allow us to even really participate in any conversation. And uh, he spoke English, and uh, I said, wow, so good to meet you. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, may I ask, uh, do you go to church here? He goes, no. I said, well, what are you doing in Spain? What are you doing in Madrid? He said, I'm on a backpack tour of Europe searching for truth. And I said, that's, that's awesome. I said, where are you presently in your search? He said, I'm 99% sure I'm turning to Islam. And uh, I said, okay. I said, so you're telling me that by being here, your heart is open. He said, well, not really. I said, so by telling me 99%, you're telling me that there's a 1% chance that you're, you're open to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ that will be spoken today. He said, it'd be, it'd be way less than 1%, but somebody mentioned this to me and I told him I would come. Just very matter of fact. I said, I could not be more excited right now. He looked at me and had that strange look, and he said, why are you excited? I said, because there's less than a 1% chance. That is plenty for the Holy Spirit to get a hold of your heart. The odds are in my favor. And I slapped him a high five, and I said, oh, by the way, where are you from? And I knew he would mention some country I hadn't heard of, but yet he you know, spoke good English. He said, I'm actually from America. I said, incredible. Where are you from in the States? I had not told him where I was from. He said, well, you will not have heard of it. It's a little town in, in Oklahoma. Think of this. I said, incredible. I said, well, try me. He said, have you ever heard of a little town called Norman? He was as serious as could be. I said, I live 30 minutes from the Sooner Stadium in a little town called Mustang, Oklahoma. He goes, I know where that is. And I said, um, stay put. I'll, I'll see you in a minute. I mean, we're already back into praise and worship. I come up and I preach the gospel that morning like I would preach it to a room of five to seven-year-olds. I made it extremely simple. And I gave an altar call, and the missionary said a couple of hundred people came and responded to salvation. But guess what? He didn't, he didn't move. So what do we preachers do? We give it again. <laughs> Don't we, Brother Brooks? Many times we do. And so I closed my eyes and I prayed a second time and I looked up. He's still planted with that backpack on. I'm thinking any time he's going he's to get out and beat the crowd. And I, I prayed one more time. I said one last time if there's anybody. And I gave one more time. This time I opened my eyes and springing off that wall, backpack. He's been standing there an hour and a half. Backpack still on his back. He comes walking down that middle aisle with his hands raised. And as he got closer, the tears had been running down his cheeks. He got to the front of the building. And have to be honest with you, I got down there quickly. And I grabbed this American student's hand from Norman, Oklahoma, of all places. And I gave him a big squeeze like I would my own son. And I led him to Christ. And I said, so... Less than 1% chance. He said, I just heard everything I've ever been searching for in my life. It wasn't me. It was the Word of God that was so powerful. It went like a mighty weapon and arrested the heart of someone that had already studied and was about to turn to Islam. 
Ladies and gentlemen, God's Word is so powerful, it still transforms hearts and lives. It still can break the chains of addiction over people's lives. It was the Word of God that was spoken in that Jewish synagogue slash bingo hall slash Assemblies of God Church renting it until their building was built that caused my father-in-law to be arrested, his attention to be arrested, and to make his way to an altar and be forever delivered. Let me give you finally as I close the, the definition of what God's Word means to me. My mind this morning on this day especially is, is back in Claremore, Oklahoma right now. And my dad with the curly hair, he's sitting in that chair that they got at Dillard's. 50% off. Got that Dillard's chair. He's sitting there and he's got his little lamp and he's got his coffee. It was always Folgers. Oh, how I could have set him free to upgrade to a much better blend. Can I get a witness for my coffee connoisseurs? You know, just give me a Sumatra blend. You know, just give me a good Italian espresso. Just, and, and, and Brother Brooks right now is a Folgers man. He is a Folgers man. As most of us may be. Well, my dad would have his Folgers, and you could see the steam coming up from the cup, and the glasses would be down on the end, and he'd be reading his Bible this morning and studying his Sunday school lesson because he would be teaching Sunday school this morning back in the day. Then right after Sunday school, he and Mom would quickly get up, get everything ready to start the music set as their sons would play instruments and be the background vocals for their parents. That's where my little bashful brother, Mike Perky, Learned to sing. Background vocals for his parents. But the Bible is an unchanging book in an ever-changing world. The Bible is not an amulet, a charm, a fetish, or a book that will work wonders by its very presence. But it is a book that will work wonders in every life, here and hereafter, if it's acted upon and obeyed in faith and sincerity. It is the book that reveals the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, And the happiness of believers. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. And practice it to be holy. The Bible contains light to direct you. Food to support you. And comfort to cheer you. It's the traveler's map. The pilgrim's staff. The pilot's compass. The soldier's sword. And the Christian's character. In my office at home. I have a beautiful sword. That I purchased at an antique shop in Dallas, Fort Worth, many years ago in one of my revivals, I was looking for something with history. It was the sword of a general. You can still see the wear and tear on the blade from recent battles in the late 1800s. It is there on my wall as a reminder I have something far greater than the sword used by a general who was decorated by the military. I have something that's called the sword of the spirit which is the Word of God. But we ought to read the Bible slowly, frequently, prayerfully, meditatively, searchingly, and devotionally. We should read it until it becomes such a part of our being that our mind goes right to what we have read instead of what we have heard. Read it until you're able to move mountains with the words in your mouth because of the Word of God that has permeated your spirit and changed your life. I want to encourage every father, be a man of the word. Just, let's just say it this way. Just be a word man. 
kind of man is he? I want my kids one day, should they bury me one of these days, I want them to say, Dad loved, Dad loved the Word of God. Dad loved the Lord. I don't really want them to talk a lot about my golf game, even though I've had a few decent rounds. I don't want them to talk about the other things I've done, the hobbies I've enjoyed. And I've, I've enjoyed this life to the fullest. You know, when the Lord healed me of cancer at 19, I got a fresh lease. And I've lived every day with wonderful excitement and joy because I got a second chance that many don't always get. So there's a reason behind my joy, my laughter, my cutting up, carrying on. It's because I almost didn't get that chance again. At the age of 19, when the doctor said I had three to six months to live with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and cancerous masses that were attacking my heart and my lungs. So if I praise a little extra, if I lift my hands a little higher, if I sing a little louder, just understand where I'm coming from because I got a second chance. Let's be men of the word. Let's be men that lead our families through the scripture. I would admonish you dads to have devotions with your children. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be lengthy. You could read a few verses and then lay your hands on your kids. Pray over them. Send them out with a validation of not only the heavenly father, but their earthly father. Letting them know that they are valuable and can do anything God calls them to do.